Welcome to Pivot, a podcast for church leaders sponsored by Faith Lead at Luther Seminary. Pivot invites church leaders to use disruptive moments to reimagine how they think about church, ministry, and leadership. Welcome to Pivot. I'm Terry Elton from Luther Seminary, and I am happy to invite you to our third season of Pivot Podcast. Some of you have been with us for the first two seasons. The first season, we launched Pivot in the midst of a pandemic, and that launch seems like a very long time ago. And in that season, Luis Johnson and Scott Cromota and I talked about how do we navigate the unprecedented change, and literally that was happening week to week and day to day in our communities, literally around the country and around the world. Season two, Luis and I joined together with some different folks that were on the ground, continuing to navigate the kind of change and pivoting and learning what leaders were experiencing on the ground. And in this season, I have a new co-host that's going to join us, and we're going to talk about faithful innovation. How do we pivot with faithful, right, as part of our work, as well as how do we take innovation theory and and practices and really help guide us in this time when we're pivoting all the time. And so with that, my co-host has been working with Faithful Innovation at Luther Seminary and a contract with us, and we're bringing her on staff, which is super excited. So Alicia Granholm, welcome to Pivot and tell a little bit to listeners about who you are and what got you here. Thank you so much, Terry. I'm really excited about this season of Pivot, and I'm also excited to be joining the staff at Luther Seminary because in January 2022, I'll be the Director of Communities and Consulting at Luther. And prior to this, I spent 10 years serving as a pastor in a couple different churches here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And through that time of, of serving in churches, really realized my passion for leadership in churches and especially what it looks like for us to engage an ever-changing world today. And particularly from leaders and pastors and, and leaders in congregations and churches. And that really led me into a consulting role. And as you mentioned, I've been working with congregations and synods and dioceses uh, around faithful innovation for the last couple of years. And so I'm really excited about doing this at a different level as I joined the staff at Luther. And I'm super excited about this conversation that we're going to be having for season three of Pivot. Well, what was interesting is that back prior to the pandemic, I don't actually even remember when the grant went in, but as part of one of Lilly Foundation's Thriving for Ministry grants, we put in to do learning communities, to gather leaders from within synods in the ELCA to learn about leading faithful innovation. And my colleagues, Don Allitz, Dwight Chiley, and and Michael Binder were a part of that initial launch. And Tessa Pinkstaff was kind of shepherding all the details of that. We got a number of synods kind of on board. And then it kind of got bigger and other work shifted. And Alicia, you came into that process. And so I'd love for you to just say just a little bit about kind of walking with congregations and then the pandemic hit and then you just ended. So you've been living in this. And what is that like, like living with leaders actually talking about faithful innovation in the midst of a pandemic? Right. It was something none of us 
could really foresee. I started with this process a couple years, I guess, before the, the pandemic hit. And we had some congregations who were really excited about this work and particularly those that really were starting to see that they knew something needed to change, but they weren't really sure. They weren't even necessarily sure the challenges that they were actually facing. They knew something was going on and that they didn't know what moving forward looked like. And so these were the type of leaders that we were engaging across the country. And we started working with them and kind of training them through the faithful innovation framework and process. And literally in the midst of that, the pandemic hit. And our colleague Don Allitz was in person, I believe in South Dakota, doing a training when it was obvious that no one was going to be meeting in person in their congregations for you know the, the next couple of weeks at the time, obviously. And so had to shift and say with these leaders, so what are you going to do? And so many of them leaned into the practices that they had been learning about with Faithful Innovation in discerning and figuring out what then that meant for them moving forward. And so we heard from a number of pastors and leaders that really felt equipped, actually, to experiment and try new things and to hold things loosely and discern what it might look like for their congregation or their their synod moving forward because of the faithful innovation work that they had been doing up until that point. And so for many of them, it felt like, gosh, we don't know what we're going to do, but we know how to figure it out. And so, so many of them felt equipped and we started meeting monthly online and some different coaching cohorts with the pastors where they could come and share their learnings with each other, lean into spiritual disciplines and practices together, and had a safe space for them to really process what was going on in their own leadership and their congregations. And then to be able to go back to their congregations with even some of the learning and experiments that they heard from colleagues around the country that they wondered, I wonder what that might look like for us if we leaned into something like that. So these learning communities and the coaching that went along with it really became places of respite for a lot of pastors as they obviously, like you know, so many of us were just exhausted by the pandemic and needing to grieve like some of our communities have never had to grieve before. And and so our learning communities and uh, the relationships that were formed and the faithful innovation framework and processes that these leaders really had in their back pocket became critical tools for them as they really lived out being the church during a global pandemic. That's so awesome. It's, It's a reminder that we're better able to pivot when we have some preparation, some, like, I love the part of the story of like, we weren't sure what the challenges were or how to get the people in the congregation to look at the deep challenges and suddenly things hit. And then that was not the problem. Then there was something else, right? But they were able to shift. They were able to pivot at that moment. So it was in that story, and Alicia and I having this conversation with with her joining our, our team at Luther around what would it mean to equip 
congregational leaders in this season using both the stories and experiences of leaders that were a part of these processes, but also that each of these podcasts is going to have a practice that we're going to do, some spiritual practices as well as some innovative design thinking type practices. And we're going to have downloads available for you each time, as well as some other resources that come alongside that. So this season is trying to do a couple things. Unpack what faithful innovation is. And today we're going to have that as our theme for this podcast. We're going to talk about today also the importance of practices and a way of thinking in this way. And we're going to live a practice with regard to that. And then in the future, we'll also have a guest that will share their story and talk with us about that theme. So let's go at it. One of the things that I think about, and I was just, I've just been teaching about this in our leadership course at Luther, is one of the biggest mistakes that leaders make is when they see an adaptive challenge as a technical challenge. And for those of you that don't know this literature, let me give you the shorthand. A technical challenge is something that people know the answers for, and I just don't, or the the people in front. So, like, I had to have a hernia operation. I had suddenly this pain in my gut. I'm like, what the heck is this, right? I went into an expert, somebody that knew more about body parts than I did. And they said, you have a hernia. And I went in and had hernia surgery. And, you know, I have a plumber. I have, like, there are various people like that, including in the church, right, that know more on certain things. And so the solving, the tackling of the challenge that I, is to seek out the right expert figure out what that is, and then live into that, right? And that works really well in an environment that's stable with challenges that are known or have been studied over time. Adaptive challenges, which we are having increasingly more of, are the ones that the people with the challenge have to learn the best way to do that. So I think of issues around addiction or whatever in a family system, right? There are so many complexities within that, that there's people, people know how to deal with addiction or there are places to go for help, right? But to how to figure out how to do that in that family system or the people with the problem have to join, have to learn about it. They have to deeply invest in it and they have to partner with other people to move forward in the challenge, okay? The kinds of challenges that we face increasingly in congregations today fall in the adaptive world. And that was true before the pandemic. And often uh, challenges that are adaptive are in more dynamic environments. So there's a lot of variables going on. And so that makes a difference. When the pandemic hit, suddenly we just were thrown into a pool of every challenge was adaptive. And as you know, from the tiredness It takes a lot of energy and a lot of people power to go and go after adaptive challenges, is to learn our way forward with regard to this. So adaptive and technical, we're talking about adaptive challenges. And one of the things as a teacher of leaders in ministry and as a people that works with congregations, one of the things for me has been we are bent towards, or congregations are bent towards, pastor, tell us the answer, or you with a theological education, tell us the answer, or you that are the youth director, tell us how to do this with youth ministry, right? The expert mindset is where we have defaulted in our leadership in congregations. So, to shift the kind of leading from expert, you tell us what to do, to know 
I can only be the guide. We have to do this together. I can't, there's not one way forward. There are so many possibilities and we have to learn together. And not only do we have to learn together about the solution, we have to learn together to see if we understand the challenge the same way. And so there's two layers of of work there. And what I have discovered is people can go, yeah, I get it in theory, but I don't know how to do it. And practices, practices that bring people into the experience more than telling them the theory actually brings them into the process. So a lot of how I would explain it is a lot of what I'm teaching at Luther is a practice-centered approach to change, a theory of practices being the way we move people into new futures. So how would you enter this conversation, Alicia? Yeah, I love that, Terry. And it's so true. And I think one of the the cultural pieces that I think is really important for us to be aware of as we think about maybe even some of the more obvious challenges that have become apparent in the last 21 months are youngest son was born March 7th, 2020. So I always know how long the pandemic has been going on because it was a week later about that, you know, uh, the world shut down. And so I think there's this cultural piece that has been at play and really changing the environment in which our congregations really function and exist and live that some of us have become Come more and more aware of, and I think the pandemic has really helped us see. And and it's this shift from what's referred to as the age of association to the age of authenticity. And it's really this shift is is highlighted in the 2021 Sprunk lectures, which we will include a link to the the YouTube of those lectures in our show notes. And uh, our colleague Dwight Shiley wrote a summary of them, which we'll also link because. That might be easier to read, certainly shorter to read than to watch the lectures. But the gist is that around the 1800s to 19, late 1960s, the age of association was the predominant culture, wherein our meaning, our individual meaning was really found in our associations. So our associations of our local churches, our association to our denominations, to clubs that we might belong to. And it was during this time that churches became dependent upon donations and formal memberships. Seminaries arose out of this era because pastoral preparation went from being an apprenticeship to now needing a professional degree like a doctor or lawyer. And so many of the models that exist for churches today really came out of that era. All the while, since the late 60s, we've really found ourselves in this age of authenticity, which means that our belonging and our meaning, instead of finding that in our associations, we focus on individual self-discovery and expression. We disembed from institutions and don't re-embed ourselves in them. And actually, there's been a growing skepticism of institutions, which has probably been apparent to a lot of us. Identities are no longer ascribed, but they're constructed. We figure them out as we grow and live out our lives and experiences. And there are a lot more loose connections. And, you know, we've we've created families of choice rather than just necessarily our family that we were birthed into or adopted into. And so 
this whole cultural shift has been kind of playing out. And for a lot of people, when we realize that some of the challenges within our congregations really come back to, well, we have people that belong to our congregation that grew up in an age of association. So we have a lot of people in our congregations that really were formed and grew up and out of the age of association. Meanwhile, there are people in our congregations, but especially in our communities that we'd love to be part of our congregations and our our faith communities that grew up in the age of authenticity. And so they are seeking their spiritual meaning in very different ways than people who grew up in the age of association. I don't know if you've seen that play out, Terry, in congregations and pastors that you talk with. Totally. And and we often see it as generational gaps or we we note it. And I think sometimes we default to that being about digital age or whatever. And certainly there's embodiment of that because we can associate now like we can connect in all kinds of different ways. And so the association doesn't even happen in institutions, right? Or in the organizational kind of way. So those of us that think in one way can actually say, well, it's it's really something else. But I really appreciate, there's a lot of really good work. Andy Root, if you haven't been following his work on secular age, is another place to get at a lot of that. So here's the thing for me. What I loved, what I've come to really appreciate about both the work that you've done with that learning community and the teaching that we're doing at Luther is that faithful innovation merges together ancient practices and creative new ways, right? That we are part of a longer story. So in any innovation that we do, any way of thinking about what God is calling us into the future has to be tied to the past and be connected to the faithfulness of who God has been. So there's an anchoring. Uh, Some people have called it traditioned innovation. I like faithful because faithful for me is rooted in God as opposed to an institution or a practice that's about people, right? So it's about God's faithfulness and our faithfulness to God who's faithful. But it's brought together design thinking, innovation theory, and a theology of innovation. So when I say theology, I'm thinking anytime we talk about God. So I'm not talking about just systematic theology or particular authors or scripture connections. But for me, there's a couple within my tradition and within conversation partners that I would weave together to say a theology is how do we think about God in the midst of innovation? So I think about God as creative and redemptive. The love of God in my life and in the world is creative and redemptive. Both of those are innovative, right? Those are about bringing something new, maybe birth of your son, new life, but especially. And in our season one, we talked about this. We were we were doing this on the pandemic and George Floyd's murder happened in our backyard for two of us. And so the redemptive nature of, of innovation or being made new. Anytime the spirit is leading us, to me, there's energy, there's empowerment, there's creativity, there's a pushing out into the unknown and risk and all those. And there's a an aspect of a theology of innovation that for me is spirit-led. It's a way of, of putting practices around discerning where is the spirit calling us or moving, or where is the spirit already present among us. 
And then the third piece that I would say about a theology of innovation is I come from a reforming church, a church of, that is believes that God is always about the making new, the, the reforming of human. Scott Carmode says this, this is in a book. We as the church can find one innovation and love it and then make it law, right? Or make it the practice or, or make it then the thing. And there's an ing part, right? There's always that ongoing. So for me, I love working with faithful innovation in our classes and with our congregations and thinking about the theological conversations that we need to be having in the midst of all of this. But tell me a little bit more about, you said this earlier about the community of leaders. And especially, I remember hearing even before the pandemic, and now it's even more accelerated, the spiritual hunger of the leaders and the need of leaders for community. So I just would love for you to say, what's the what's the importance for your work that you've been doing of the community part of this faithful innovation? Yeah, I love that question, Terry. And even just briefly going back to the theology of innovation piece too, I can't read the gospels and not see everything that Jesus does essentially as innovative, right? You, yeah, how often does Jesus say, you've heard it said this way, but actually the kingdom of God is like, you know, and so to me, I, I've always seen it in that new way that obviously Jesus is doing a new thing and the spirit is doing a new thing. And so I think it's easy to get caught up on thinking that it needs to be harder than it actually is, but really it's where we're seeing God throughout the scriptures doing a new thing. And, you know, that's the essence of it. And yes, Terry, as we have been journeying with pastors and leaders and judicatories through Faithful Innovation, and particularly during the pandemic, one of the big needs that we saw from leaders was this spiritual hunger of leaders and the realization of their own need to tend to their soul and their own spirituality and relationship with God. And so we would take time to do that uh, in our monthly calls and in our gatherings, which you know, began in person and then moved solely online for a season. And as leaders really began to lean into their own souls and spiritual care, they were able really to take that back and those practices back to their congregations. And we know that people really are hungering for spiritual meaning. And so a lot of the practices, um, spiritual practices, especially that we use in Faithful Innovation, as leaders brought those back to their congregations, it was amazing the stories that we would hear about just congregational gatherings around, you know, scripture or lament or a number of other practices that we engage in and, and encourage people to use in their congregations that really helped center the conversation back around God and starting to engage the questions of okay, so what might God be up to and what might God be inviting us to participate in? And that's really the crux of faithful innovation and the the role that these practices play in helping us discern what it is we think God might be up to and inviting us to do. So love two parts of what you just said. 
One is that faithful innovation starts with our own spiritual practices or our own deeply grounding ourselves in the word, in God, in prayer, in a worshiping community, whatever those practices would look like for us. And the same is true for a congregation. And so I think part of the pushback I get from my colleagues, I'll just own that. Well, you're just co-opting something from the business world. Innovation is a business thing and it's all about consumerism and they go on and on and on, right? And I go, faithful innovation starts with listening to God, starts with quieting myself and listening to my neighbor. It puts me in the midst of text where they're doing what you just said. And Jesus said, right, disrupted what was going on. And so that for me is so critical and cannot be underlined more boldly or whatever. It's so significant. The other thing for me that's really critical is any of the practices that we do outside of that, if they're not faithful, if they're not bringing people to God, or they're not stirring up conversations about what is it, what is God up to here, or how are we being nudged to be in community with our neighbor or people different than us, then we stop doing it. Like that is a litmus test for me with regard to that. So I think we can't over estimate that enough. And that means I need a community to be a part of. So anytime faithful innovation is done by themselves, I get a little curious because I have blind spots. I get really excited about some ideas and I will go on them until either they flourish or somebody says, no, right? Or let's change it a little. And so I'm learning to really honor those in the room with me, those in the process with me to see God is working in and amongst the conversation and in the no's as much as the yeses. I love how you say that, Terry, because one of the things that I have started doing is whenever I'm equipping leaders, you know, not to just start with the listening, but then also how do you actually, you know, craft an experiment that works in the sense of what it means to successfully experiment, which often is failing, but it's the learning that comes from it. We'll get that to that in a, a future episode. But one of the things I always say is, okay, this is the first and the last time you're ever going to design an experiment by yourself. It's simply not the purpose. Because if we're discerning as a community what God is inviting us into, we cannot sit alone in our offices thinking, designing, creating, because it is ultimately going to fail if the point is for us to engage our communities and engage with what God is up to together. Amen. So let's let's end this episode with the practice. Alicia, will you set that up for us? Yeah, I'd love to. So one of the practices that we love to encourage people to start with when it comes to faithful innovation is centering the conversation around God. And one of the best ways that we can do that is through the scriptures. And that brings us to a practice called dwelling in the word. It's an ancient spiritual practice. It goes by a number of different names. And Terry and I are going to do that here on the podcast. And in future podcast episodes, we're going to be doing 
practices on the episode so that we can model for you what the practice is, really how simple and accessible they are. And there will be notes and downloads for how to do these in your own context in the show notes. But so when it comes to dwelling in the word, you know, when we seek to find out where God might be active in our local communities and in our daily lives, and as we consider where to join in with that work, one of the core practices that we think we should be engaging in is dwelling in the word. Because when we dwell in the word together, we listen to scripture together and we allow God to speak to us through it. Dwelling in the word is really this ancient way of reading the scripture. It's a way of spiritually submitting to the text is one way God speaks to us with this willingness to be shaped by what God might want to say through the scripture. And in this way, we are being interpreted by the text together as we listen to it. And it's a very accessible way to read scripture together with people, even if they've never read the Bible before. And so the steps of dwelling in the word are pretty simple. We start by praying that God would speak to us. We'll read a specific text together slowly, allow for a few moments of silence, ideally have a different person read the text a second time, allow for some time of silence, and then partner up with a listening partner. And when we're together with those listening partners, there are three questions that we might reflect on with them. What caught my attention in the text that was just read? What questions does this passage create for me right now? And what do I think God might be saying to me or to us as a community through this passage today? And often, we might not have a response to all three of those questions, but every time I've done this with community is everyone, something comes up for everyone. It might be a specific question about the text. Something catches our attention in that text as we read it, maybe even for the first time. And oftentimes, someone in the the community will have a sense for, you know, what God might be saying to them specifically or to to us potentially as a group through the text. And so we're going to do that today with a passage in Acts 16. And the reason we wanted to start with this text is this is a great retelling of Paul and his companions on a journey of literally trying to discern where God might be calling them and what happens in this particular part of their journey. So what better text to start with than Acts 16? And Terry, I'd love to invite you to read through it. And just for time's sake, we'll read through it once. But then why don't you and I answer one of those questions after after you've read it? That's great. I get to do this in my class with students on a regular basis. So this is one of my favorite practices. I'm going to invite you and I, Alicia, and our listeners, wherever they are, to just take a deep breath, maybe even close your eyes and kind of tune out. If you're walking or driving, please don't close your eyes, but tune out a little bit what's around you and hear these words from Acts 16, verses 6 through 15. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the providence of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter 
both Ninia and the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by and they went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision. The vision was of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Teresia, he went out to the sea and sailed straight for Samathras. And the next day, he went on to Neapolis. From there, he traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city in that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. When we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there, and one of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatria named Lydia, and she was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. She said, if you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she persuaded us. Alicia, what stood out for you in that text? You know, I was really caught by the very first sentence, Paul and his companions. And it reminded me of of Jesus and his companions. And just that reality that while we hear so much about Paul and, you know, his epistles and letters in the New Testament, he had companions. He did not do this, his work alone. And obviously we see that modeled by Jesus. And just for me, it really brought up Um, that invitation to not do this work alone. What about you? Was there something that stood out today? Two things stood out for me. One are all the names of particular places. And I think about when I travel the country, whether for work or for fun, when I see the names, when I'm driving on the freeway or on the map, some that I know, memories come back. Some that I don't know mean nothing. Right. And so I was thinking about these names mean nothing to me. But as I was thinking about them, they are people. Like there are communities of people and the hearers of that time, it would have meant things to them. And so I I got distracted by wondering about what does this mean to all these people? Right. Why were these closed off and these open and what would come with that? So that was the first thing. The second thing is towards the end where Lydia says, come, come stay at my house. And I think the invitation, the stranger inviting them. And I had to think from Paul and his companions back in the beginning to be closed off, to be following the spirit, and then to have somebody actually listen and then say, come. With the deep desire to have them, Paul and his companions come to her house and that she persuaded them, right? Like, so the both how a, a win a, a good thing for the inviter, but also how wonderful to be invited. 
And then my question would be, I wonder how we're doing that today. You know? I love that. Yes. Yes. Both, right? Receiving an invitation and extending an invitation. Well, we hope this little dwelling has not only grounded for you the work that we're doing in scripture, which is a practice that is consistent with when we're with congregations, when we're with students, but also we encourage you to think who are your companions? Where are the closed off places, but where are the open places? Where are the people waiting to listen and the people wanting to invite you to come and be in their homes and share the good news of the gospel? Welcome to this third season of Pivot. And next week, we are excited to have Pastor Aaron Nelson, the Director of Evangelical Mission in the Southwest Synod of Wisconsin, come and join us to talk about why is faithful innovation a faithful practice. So we look forward to you next week and look for the website for those downloads that Alicia has talked about. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Pivot Podcast. For more leadership resources, go to faithpluslead.luthersem.edu.